Well, every night I go out running Or riding my bike I like the sweat, I like the flow I get, I like the feeling of the night air Hitting my lungs I like the feeling of rain While sticking out my tongue Sometimes I like to pretend I'm on a secret mission Sometimes I'm just making sure it's not something out there happening That I'm missing And I swear to you I get a real high from it Fuck alcohol and fuck all that shit and fuck TV Let's meet up in our bikes down by the old train bridge I'll race you downtown and I'll show you what you miss from me inside And let's live our lives tonight Let's ride our bikes into the And we are recording. Uh, welcome, folks, to the Garrett Schalke podcast. I am uh, your host, Garrett Schalke, on this uh, beautiful Saturday morning slash afternoon. Uh, afternoon here in Michigan, uh, morning over in Nevada. And uh, today's guest is uh, a truly special guest. And I know I say that all the time because I'm a hack, but... Uh, this time I very much mean it, because uh, today's guest is uh, someone that I consider not only a favorite writer of mine, but someone that has had a huge influence on my own work. He is the author of The Human War, The Insurgent, The Collected Works of Noah Cicero, Volumes 1 and 2, Bipolar Cowboy, and his latest work, published through House of Vlad Press, Noah Cicero's Wild Kingdom, which is the main topic of today's show. So, uh, folks, let's uh, give a very warm welcome to, uh, straight from Las Vegas, Nevada, Noah Cicero. Noah, how's it going, man? I'm doing okay. It's just Saturday morning in Las Vegas, very sunny and nice morning. Yeah, I'm uh, glad you could join us, and, uh... Yeah, I guess if you are tired from being up this early, I sincerely apologize. Oh, no, I, I woke up at 6 a.m. It's okay. I already even spent an hour sitting outside of a Starbucks drinking coffee and reading a book. Uh, you're a morning person, then? Yeah, I wake up at, like, 5.45, 6 a.m. every day without any kind of alarm or anything. Oh, really? Yeah, you don't do that? This is normal? Uh, well, I have to get up during the week for that, but that's to go to my day job at the warehouse. Other, other than that, uh, like today, I try to get up around like 10 o'clock or so. <laughs> wow. I haven't slept at 10 o'clock in a decade. Yeah, that's crazy. Well, it used to be much later, you know, back when I was young, wild, and free, and you know, didn't have to get up at like five in the morning to go to work. But, uh, oh, wow. but yeah, this is like the latest I can like sleep in now on my own. You know, it's over, it's been nearly a decade now since I started my warehouse job. And, uh, yeah, it's kind of become part of me to get up earlier now. Yeah. I don't know what happened. Like I, uh, in my thirties, 
I just started waking up earlier and earlier and earlier. And like, it seems like every year I'm getting like 15 minutes earlier. I remember my father when I was little would wake up at like 5 a.m. And I'm like, fuck, I'm just become like, maybe that's my genetic rotation or whatever it is. Man, uh, I remember when I was a little kid, I, uh, would get up really early. First, it was because of, you know, Saturday morning cartoons. There's that. Then, uh, then for some reason, I wanted to, like, try to be like my dad in that aspect and get up early. And, uh, didn't really work well since I would just sit there and watch whatever crap was on TV and fall asleep in the chair. <laughs> fall asleep in the chair. That's funny. I liked Saturday morning cartoons when I was little. Yeah, I know. It's and it's a shame they got wiped out. Though I have I have seen advertisements though for a place called Cartoon Channel, spelled with a K, where they advertise Saturday morning cartoons on Saturday mornings. That's, I didn't even know. I, I didn't even know they were wiped out or anything. Oh yeah, they've been like long gone. Unless you count like oh. I don't know, like Nickelodeon or Cartoon Network. I'm I'm talking about like Saturday mornings, like NBC, Fox, and all that stuff. Those are long gone. Oh okay, I didn't know that. All right, uh, Noah. Yeah, man. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Thanks for joining us. Uh, how you been? Oh, I'm okay. I'm, I'm like alive and stuff. <laughs> yeah, th that's very good to know. Uh, I prefer my <laughs> guests to be alive. Yeah, I'm like alive. I'm like making it through. It's okay. Uh, yeah, same here, man. It's been a pretty rough year, to, to say the least, for everyone. And, uh, yeah, it's slightly getting better, but not by much. No, it doesn't feel like it's getting better. <laughs> yeah. It doesn't feel like it. Maybe, maybe, I mean, like, I, I don't know. I don't know. Maybe things will get better. Well, let's, uh, talk about something better, then. Uh, <laughs> good transition there, huh? That right. sounds good. Yeah, uh, let's talk about your uh, latest work, your latest book. It's an autobiographical poetry tome called uh, Noah Cicero's Wild Kingdom. Yeah, uh, can you uh, summarize what Wild Kingdom is about? Um, so there's a guy, and he is, it's during quarantine, and he's with his new wife, and he like, lives in Las Vegas. And he met his wife in Las Vegas, and she doesn't know anything about his childhood in Ohio. And um, as they're sitting there, you know, because they, I don't know, I can't, I don't know if I specify, but like they're not going to work or something, or they're working from home. Like your imagination can do whatever it needs with that. Mm -hmm. And so he, she just like goes, tell me about your childhood. And he just starts telling her the stories of like little clipped moments, kind of like, <laughs> you know, the moments when you're a child and you feel a sense of wonder 
mm-hmm. and you're kind of like conscious of something for the first time and like what does it mean like why is this thing here why is this in my life kind of feeling and then it, it kind of goes through all of that and goes through pretty much like age four to about um i think like 12 or so and you just like kind of there's just a bunch of little poems there's like a lot of them there's like over 50 of them like little poems about all these little moments that the the child has in their little world and it's like um the little, because when you're a child, it's like you're so sheltered, you know? Mm-hmm. You just live in whatever world your parents give you. And so it just goes through these little moments. Alright. Alright, and uh, yeah, I have uh, read it this uh, past week. And, uh, well, I'll just say right off the bat that I loved it. Just as I have your previous uh, poetry books. No, it's a, Oh, good, thank you. No, very... Very, a very smooth read and uh, a very gripping narrative and uh, just a lot of scenarios and topics that, uh, well, that you presented in a lot of your past work that I very much enjoyed. But uh, one thing I noticed uh, right away in comparison to your previous books, you know, Bipolar Cowboy and Nature Documentary, is that you... Uh, Based the poems within a larger narrative, you know, the character Tom describing his youth in a, oh boy, I know I'm going to say this wrong, so please forgive me, Vienna, Ohio, am I correct? Yeah, Vienna, that's how you say it, Vienna. Vienna, oh, god damn it. Yeah, Vienna, no, you did really good, you did very well. Oh man, you know, these... From Michigan to Ohio to Indiana, you know these Midwestern names. Okay. Yeah, we had we had like a it was like East Palestine, but we pronounced it like East Palestine. We had a town like named Campbell, and there was like a P in the middle, but no one ever said the P. There was a town called Mesopotamia, but we called it Mespo. Hmm. And uh, yeah, I'm sure you have that in Michigan too. Oh yeah, and uh. Yeah, it's some of it of my uh, own volition, too, due to my uh, wonderful accent and my uh, tendency to mispronounce shit. It, it's okay. Yeah, anyway, he's uh, describing his youth to his wife, Vita. And uh, what made you uh, go this route, you know, t- to write your poems within a larger narrative, to make them link together as a story? As opposed to just say, you know, a common theme or a topic. Well, um, well, I got the idea from Vanity of Deleuze by Jack Kerouac because Vanity Deleuze is like him sitting, you know, in the living room talking to his wife about his childhood, and he's like an older person, and he talks about how Melville did the same thing. And so, um, I don't know if I got that from him, or if I read this book by, or it was like Alan Ginsberg, um, Speeches at Naropa. I read that a couple of years ago. Maybe, maybe he said it there. I got, I got the Phoenix stuff I have all mixed up in my head because I read so much of it. It's like all in my head in all different places. And so, um, that's 
what Vanity Deleu does. He like talks about his childhood and you know right up to World War Two and everything. Um, so I just thought that same method would really work. And then in Bible or Cowboy, it's kind of framed because I give that like introduction in the beginning and mm-hmm. here's a timeline of everything and like okay here's the timeline preceding the writing of the poetry book and then what the events I and mean, then these poems will reflect upon the past events so i really do believe in um uh, a poetry book that is framed and it is you know all of it has is related to each other like i don't really i don't really enjoy poetry books that are not like have they have to have some kind of storytelling narrative um, thing to it. If they're just like you know, you know, eighty-two pages of just random poems, so like I most just a collection. Just it down. Go ahead. Yeah, just a collection of poems. Just like random poems to try to get yourself tenure or whatever people do nowadays. Oh, okay. Like that, you know, here's 82 poems. I don't know what they mean or what they have to do with each other. I'm just going to, like, tell you. I'm going to hope that I do a poetry reading or get interviewed and, like, notify everyone what it means. But I'm not going to tell you in the book or something. I don't like that. Um, I want, it's a book. And a book has a narrative and it has a story. That's what a book is. Oh, okay. And, uh, (laughs) (laughs) all right. And, uh, in this collection, uh, did your, uh, write, first of all, uh, do you have a writing process when it, uh, comes to poetry? A what to poetry? A writing process as, you know, compared to when you write prose. Is there a difference at all? If I start writing something, I'll write in the morning, and then um, I then after I'm done in like two hours, I'll go and take a break, and then I'll just like you know think about what I'm going to write the next day. So, and then like when it, it occurs to me what I'm going to write the next day, I make little notes, you know, like you know like little notes, and then I put the notes next to me, you know, on the mm-hmm. desk when I write. All right, uh, well, was there uh, anything different with this book that you did? Um, yeah, this book I wrote really quickly, and it was a lot of fun because it was like I could just, it's during COVID, like at the worst part, you know, it's like the summer, and there was just, you know, those riots and everything happened, and it's like I really... Um, I didn't really think that hard when I wrote it. I just kind of like, um, basically what happened was, um, I live in Las Vegas. I lived here for like eight or nine. I've been gone from Ohio for like 10 years now. And so I would kind of like tell people stories, my coworkers and my new friends, like my friends, a lot of my friends would be from California here. Or, you know, they would be from different non-Ohio places or like really Southwest people. And I would tell them a story about something that happened in Ohio. And they would be like, that's so crazy. I can't believe that happened. That's a real thing. And I would be like, and I would just kind of jot it down in my mind. Like, oh, that's a thing that is interesting to other people. And 
I just kind of tried to think of things where, like, if I was telling a Southwest person the imaginary Vita stories, what would I tell her about Ohio if I had, like, you know, weeks to tell her things? Like, what would I tell her that would interest her? She's like, you know, she maybe she's from Arizona or from Orange County. And she's just, like, has never, ever had to be in Ohio or Michigan. Like, never took a vacation there in her entire life. What would it, what would make her perk her eyes up as something that was totally weird. And, but also at the same time, I was thinking about what if someone from the Midwest read it? Like, what, so it had to do, it had to have a duality in it. And it had to be written with a sense of duality where it had to appeal to kind of like the sense of nostalgia of a Midwest person mm-hmm. that would like be like, this is interesting. I live something like this. And then would allow them to imagine their own reality of their own moment. Like, oh, I had a moment like this, but it was like this. And then it, it gives them a chance to talk to their friends. Like, oh, I do. Did you read this book? It had this moment. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, didn't it, doesn't it remind you of when you and me did this? But at the same time, it had to be written in a way that someone from the Southwest or maybe the Northwest or, you know, could read it and be like, wow, that's so interesting. What a unique moment. Like these people of the Midwest who I never think about, who the media never discusses in any real way, have these like really unique experiences and they have really unique lives. And it just doesn't get discussed in the media because it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't interest anybody because the, I don't know if it doesn't make money or what, but it doesn't interest people. So it doesn't get made famous, you know, in movies. You see movies in your city, you see movies in LA, you see movies with dragons, but you don't see movies about, like, you know, people just walking around a small town in Ohio or Michigan, Indiana or Illinois. Mm-hmm. And so it had to be, like, this kind of reality where it was kind of vague enough. It was, it, you had to, like, be concrete, but at the same time be vague to make both of these groups of people happy. All right. Kind of. Does that make sense? Because, oh. I mean, to me, like, I'm, I'm always thinking about, I mean, the first thing I always, like, who are going to be my audiences? Are they different types of people? Oh, absolutely. What, uh, what do they need? Uh, yeah, I kind of have a similar process with my own writing. Uh, it's actually, um, uh, God, here's a big throwback. Uh, Johnny Cash, and uh, I believe, God, I think it was his uh, from San Quentin album. He uh, was speaking to the inmates, and uh, I guess he's telling them that. Uh, they that beforehand the uh, staff were trying to tell him like you know what he can or can't do what he can say or not say and he just straight up said I'm here to do what you want me to what I want to do and uh that's kind of how I approach my own writing as well like what do I think people will like and uh more so what do I want to do that's kind so yeah I kind of know what you mean there yeah, yeah, you have to, you know, what do I want to do, but how does this fit in into the greater, you know, landscape of people? Yeah, and I do, and yes, I do know, I do do, uh, in the book, I did recognize a lot of the, um, scenarios and, uh, settings, since, uh, 
I grew up in a little place called uh, Alpena, Michigan, up in uh, northeast Michigan. And uh, I would say it's... I haven't, like, looked up statistics or anything, but uh, I think it is larger than Vienna, but uh, not by much. But I did recognize, like, a lot of the people in there, a lot of the scenarios, the rural environment... Yeah, it's just all there, just wah, Midwest, pretty much. <laughs> and uh, I will say, too, that I have had uh, people gawk at uh, stories I told them. Like, let's say I've, like, back in 2019, I went to uh, London, my uh, first ever overseas trip. And, uh... Since since the pandemic has happened, possibly my, possibly my last one. You never know. And uh, I would talk to some people like I met at a bar or at the place I was staying. And uh, yeah, they would kind of bug out whenever I would tell them like, you know, what Michigan was like or how I grew up or anything like that. So that was always fun. Why would they be bummed out? No, no. Bugged out, like like they can't like they can't believe what I'm saying. Oh, okay. <laughs> I'm not bummed out. I mean, if I got oh. deep, if I got deeper, they might get bummed out. But I was just telling them some of the more funny stuff. Oh yeah, it's a funny place growing up in the Midwest. It's a yeah, strange place. Ah, <sighs> yeah. All right. Uh, now, um. Tom's stories, uh, as we've just established, take place in uh, Vienna, Ohio, which uh, to me is a switch up from your previous works. You know, your prose works like The Insurgent, for example, because uh, a lot of them take place around Youngstown, Ohio. Uh, can you uh, describe what uh, Vienna is like and how it's different from Youngstown? So Vienna is, you know, it's like 25 minutes away, probably by car. It's not very, it's not very far by car. Um, but my parents never took me there as a child. They never took me there. And so um, I completely, you know, had no idea this whole world existed. So Vienna, through the eyes of a child, is like you, there is one red light. Um... There is one convenience store. It was called Dairy Mart. And before that, it was called Lawson's. And then now it's called Cir- Circle K. Mm-hmm. There's a gas station. There was a supermarket with like deer heads and bear heads and I don't know, like warthog heads. Warthog. Warthog. I have a, some, is that what they're called? I don't know, but. Um, uh, I think so. In Texas. Oh, yeah. They got a shit ton of those down there. And then, um, those were on the wall. Uh, there were, like, between the houses, there was this tree. like, trees and trees. And now there might be, like, a little bit of trees, and there might be, like, ten acres of trees. And then there was, we had the schools, and the schools were, like, always, like, down a side road that were, like, surrounded by the trees. And we know uh, my class had 90 kids, and we were a really big class. They usually had like 70, and it took two towns for us to 
it's just had a caution light. Very and nice. One, one single caution light. They had like a general store, no gas station, no anything. They had nothing. And um, the, the middle school was from 1890. And um, <laughs> and uh, they it was like the kind of place where everyone knows each other. Like you walk into anywhere and you were like, oh, how's it going? How's it going? How's it going? It was like you couldn't escape people. It was like, you're, every, it was like everyone was famous. It was like the country song bumping a small town famous and why you should live in a small town for your whole life. And so it was kind of very much like everyone knew each other. I remember going to like VA breakfasts, you know, VA dinners with my dad and my neighbor. My neighbor was like a World War II veteran. Um, we had well water. The water smelled like sulfur and fried Um, So you had that. We had chickens, you know. We had five acres of land, and the five acres of land is is like a hundred thousand dollars, like fifty or forty. And now it's you know it's not an expensive piece of land because no one wants to live there because there's like <laughs> no jobs that could really pay for that piece of land. There's no job. There's just no jobs there, and so um, uh, it's five acres. You know, if that was in Las Vegas, like fucking a quarter acres. I'm not going to write about those people, but 
what if I took that gaze that I had of them and just applied it to my own people? Like that kind of like super third person, what the hell are you doing? What's happening? Why are you wearing that? But also at the same time, super compassionate, super forgiving for all the weird stuff they're doing and believing in. Well, you could also say you uh, Ohio Ohioized them. Oh, God, that, that joke sucked. I'm sorry. Wait, what? Oh, uh, God, I made an awful joke. Let's let's not go on that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, but, uh, so you, uh, well, I get, well, that brings up the question, uh, when was the first time you went to Youngstown? I don't remember. I remember the first time I went to Youngstown, it was because we were looking, I was with my friends, and I think we were looking for, like, weird hats, like braids or something, and we didn't, uh, so we drove into Youngstown because there was this, um, somebody had the idea that they would have them at the Black People Church Clothes Store. And there is one in the center in downtown Youngstown. And so we, like, drove in. We're like, oh, my God, we're in Youngstown. And we're, like, 16, 17 years old because we wanted to, like... And we went downtown and we parked. And um, we went into this store and we, like, found a beret or something. But, I, I mean, like, I don't remember my parents ever driving there. They would drive me to Warren, Ohio, because um, that's where my father worked. And so I saw that a lot, but... Like Youngstown specifically, I don't. My dad didn't know anyone there, so mm-hmm. he never drove there. Ah, okay. All right. Uh, the book is a uh, late is labeled as autobiographical. Uh, just how autobiographical is uh, Wild Kingdom? Um, I would say you know I didn't make anything up. I don't remember, and if I did, it was. Alright, and uh, the pictures in the book are you, correct? Yeah, that is. They are me. Like, I think there was a... Like, how many photos were in the book? I remember about two of them right now. There's one when I'm really little, um, framed by a tree, and then there's one with my grandpa when I'm really little. Oh, okay, yeah, I thought that was your uh, father there for a sec. Oh, no, that was my grandfather. Oh, okay. My father looks like Super Mario. (laughs) Alright. I'm glad we got that established. Yeah, so if you're like, oh, there's Super Mario, that's my Esno's dad. He also looks like Saddam Hussein. Uh, And uh, when Saddam Hussein got really famous, he shaved his mustache. Oh, God, um... Back when I was in a junior high, I had an English teacher that looked, well, like your dad. We went back and forth between Mario and Saddam. And, uh... And, and who? Mario and who? Saddam. Like, you could... He looked exactly like both of them. And, uh... <laughs> and this guy was a dickhead. He was, like, one of the worst teachers I have ever had. You know, he's very aggressive, and, uh, we, it was actually, like, like I said, I was in junior high, and, uh, 
like a lot of kids, you know, taught to respect authority and all that shit. He was like one of the first teachers, like I openly defied, because he's that awful. And uh, well, to get a little dark here, he uh, passed away over well over a decade ago. Uh, he was one of the first people that I was legitimately glad died. <laughs> like, oh wow! Yeah, I Mario. know. Yeah, rest in peace, Mario. Oh, Super Mario. Yeah, yeah, this guy sucked. I was, I'm glad he's gone. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. Okay. Oh, by the way, uh, speaking of Super Mario, uh, did you by chance uh, catch Elon Musk's uh, performance on SNL last weekend? I saw him. Uh, I watched one scene of the Chad one. I watched the because I love the Chad scenes. Oh, yeah. Um, that's not going to sell me any books telling people that, dude. <laughs> well, no, no one, well, it's not going to help me either when I admit that I have a death, a death list of people that I'm glad are dead. But, uh, no, he, yeah, really cringe, uh, a really cringe sketch that had, uh, Musk as Wario, and, uh, he was in court for killing Super Mario. It's very, it's very bad, and, uh, I guess, like, he lost over, like, two million in Dogecoin after it aired. (laughs) Oh, man, it's, you should look up on YouTube, you'll like it. I watched the one where Chad goes to Mars. Oh, yeah, that one. It, that was actually kind of an okay one. I really love, uh, what is his name, Davidson? I don't know his first name. Uh, I honestly don't know. I, uh, I only watch SNL whenever I, uh, visit my folks, like, once a month. Since, uh, there's nothing really to do in Alpena. Especially during this pandemic. Anyway. (laughs) Alright, uh, Wild Kingdom has, uh, been out for, i say about a month now, right? Yeah, how has the reception been for it? Um, people keep, they, when I wanted to give books away, people were like, I got like so many in a matter of like minutes, it was weird. And people have been emailing me and telling me it's really nice. And I've done another podcast with someone else from Michigan last week. And I did some interviews, so everything seems to be okay. I think that's what's supposed to happen. Well, uh, wait, you said that you uh, did our podcast with our Michigander? Yeah, his name is Joe Balecki, and he lives in Grand Rapids. So I have a huge fan base in Michigan, so I should probably do a Michigan tour. Uh, oh, Elizabeth Allen interviewed me, and she lives in Michigan, too, I think. So oh, yes. I only really got impressed from people from Michigan and, like, one other person. Oh, yes. Uh, one thing is very clear. Michiganders cannot get enough of Noah Cicero. People from Michigan read a lot. They... Yeah, and uh, yeah. Jokes aside, I did uh, read that interview with uh, Elizabeth Ellen. Uh, great interview, and uh, yeah, shout out to Ellen. Great writer, great person. Uh, she was nice enough to uh, blurb one of my past books. So uh, 
So yeah, she's awesome. Probably the best uh, modern Michigan writer, in my opinion. Elizabeth Allen. I think Sam Pink lives there now, too. You have, like, everyone there. I don't know what's going Oh, shit. He was, like, five, year, five years ago, he, like, lived there or something. Really? Sam Pink lives here now? I thought he was in Florida. Oh, man. I don't know. I haven't spoken to him in three years. But I think, like, three years ago, he, like, came back from Florida and, like, lived in Michigan, like, in secret or something. Huh. Yeah, uh, do you follow Sam on Twitter? No, my Twitter, like, I turned it off one day, and I can't get it to back. It's like, they said it was gone. Oh, ouch. But, well, I do, and, uh, well, he just tweeted recently that, uh, I think, like, four of his, uh, books are, he took them out of print. Uh, I think it was, like, Rontel, Her Others, The No Hellos Diet, and, uh, one other. So that kind of shocked me, actually, when I saw that. But the book is out of print? Yeah, he, like, just took them out of print. And uh, I don't think he's given an explanation why. Maybe someone else will publish them. I know my one book, Best Behavior, is out of print. Hmm. Well, I'm glad to say that I have all those books on Nook, so so at least I can still reread them. I have, like, uh, so many of his. I have like all of his and Scott McCannahan's um, going back and like, you know, other people's. I have like just massive amounts of the indie press books on a shelf, but we have like the Sam Pink and the Scott McCannahan books like on a special shelf like in my sister's house so like no one so they're like untouched as the originals. <laughs> yeah, and, like, I keep them like, like, like their treasure. Yeah, as they should. They're both great writers and uh, great dudes. Yeah, I haven't seen them in years. Which, uh, last time I saw one, I think I saw Scott McCannahan like 2013 or 2014. And I, I, uh, I haven't seen Sam Pink in 10 or 11 years. <laughs> uh, I actually saw Scott and Sam at the same time. Uh, I think around... Yeah, like you just mentioned, 2013 or so, when, uh, at reading in Chicago, uh, Scott, Scott was nice, you know, great, great dude to talk to, and, uh, Sam, I actually had a long conversation with him, because, uh, he just got done with his set, and, you know, we talked about Chicago and about writing, and, uh, I think I, like, accidentally, well... Or at least he thought, like, I was, uh, flirting with him. Because, uh, because this was when I, like, was first getting into him. I was reading, uh, Hurt Others, his, uh, short story collection. And a lot of it talked about, you know, working in a warehouse. And I'm all like, hey, man, I worked in a warehouse, too. You still, uh, work there? He said he didn't. I'm like, oh, I, oh, I could have been mistaken. You know, you look like you work in a warehouse. And, uh, kind of got a little bit awkward there for a sec. Then I realized what I said. He's huge. He's a huge dude. He's oh. so big. Oh, yeah, he's very small. Yeah, he's totally big. He's got these huge legs. It's really, like, really good. He could have been, like, a boxer or something. Right? Yeah. Good specimen. All right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. 
So yeah, Sam, Sam, if you're listening, uh, you're awesome. And no, I was not hitting on you back then. <laughs> All right. Sam, uh, Sam, I'm always hitting on you. So don't worry. Oh, good to know. <laughs> Jeez. That's funny. All right. Th- all right then. Uh, all right. Wild Kingdom has uh, been out for a month. You've been uh, getting a lot of praise and a lot of love from us Michiganders, as you should. Uh, uh, do you uh, you have any plans to write a poetry book like like this again in this narrative style? Oh, I don't know. I don't have any poetry. I don't have any books in my head planned, you know, like at all. So, I mean, I'm assuming, like, yeah, I mean, like, it would be fun to do it like that again. Uh, you know, I don't even think about it as poetry. It's just, like, a way of... I didn't want to, like, make scenes where I had to, like, construct, you know, open the scene, tell you what time it is, tell you the who, what, where, when, why... I didn't want to do it. I just didn't feel like it. So it just came better like that. And then for some reason, people think it's okay when I do that. But I mean, Mm -hmm. to me in my head, they're just like kind of funny ways. Like you're talking to someone and this is how it comes out. All right. Uh, Okay. uh, The very last question uh, I would like to ask you on this topic. It's a, This is uh, something that I know is near the end of the book that has uh, really stuck out to me. Uh, At the end there, uh, Tom details a conflict he was having with a local bully. And uh, and I wrote this down because I wanted to get it exactly. He uh, says that, at that moment, life offered me two possible options. One, to rebel, to rebel. And two to become cynical and dark as them. Uh, as the author of this work, uh, which one do you think that uh, he turned out to be by by the end of the book? You know, by the time that he's uh, talking to uh, his wife about all this. He becomes, you know, the, the rebel person. And he makes that choice to turn the other cheek in those situations. Um, so rebellion is many things. It's not just yelling. It's not just screaming or fighting back. You know, sometimes it's just like you, or you can rebel when someone is mean to you by not being mean again. You know, like I'm not going to, you're not going to make me mean. You're not going to do it. You're not going to win. You're not going to make me like you. And to me, that is like a a real form of rebellion is when someone is trying to make you mean and trying to make you cruel and trying to destroy you. And you say, I'm not going to do that. But you don't fight back their way. You fight by turning the other cheek and saying, listen, you want to hit me, go ahead and hit me again. You can do it. You can hit me as much as you want. You can hit me 77 times. And I'll forgive you 77 times. And it's problematic when you think like that because you often lose in life. But also, your rebellion might be losing. And knowing that you're actually winning 
mean, you need to surround yourself with people that actually know what a win and a loss really is. Oh, okay. All right, I get it now. All right, uh, that 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 was something I was kind of questioning at the end there. But, all right, uh, thanks for verifying then. Yeah, he, he there is. Yeah, you're you're right. There's no way we don't know what his life goes on to be. You know, we don't know what he actually is in life. We don't know what job he has. We don't know how he treats Vita. We don't know if he kisses Vita every morning and looks in her eyes and is like, "I love you, Vita, so much," or if he like gets drunk and hits her. That's never said in the book. You know, I didn't even. <laughs> Yeah, just a small part of his life that he's now describing. Yeah, but that gives the audience a chance to make it theirs. It kind of gives them ownership over whatever said because they don't know who he is. So that vagueness allows the audience to um, participate. All right. Okay, uh, let's move on to a non, non-literary topic. Though it can be literary since... Uh, you know, you're a writer and you're all about that life. Uh, let's talk about Las Vegas for a sec. Okay. Yeah, well, first of all, uh, well, before we get into Las Vegas proper, you uh, noted that you uh, wrote Wild Kingdom, like, in the mi- during, like, the worst part of COVID in Nevada. Yeah, that's when I wrote it, in the, in the summer, when, every, when like, things were, like, very... You know, people were shut down and people weren't doing anything. Well, uh, well, in previous, well, since the pandemic started, uh, there's been a favorite question I've asked, uh, guests, and I'll, uh, ask you now. Uh, where, where, uh, uh, sorry, <laughs> sorry, cough there. Okay, my, uh, favorite question I'd like to ask you is, uh, where were you, where were, where, uh, were you when, uh, when COVID first started, like, uh, was there like an, oh shit moment you had when you realized that this was going to be a big thing? Um, I remember when I was at work and people were talking about it happening in Asia and people were talking about it. And then I remember like, um, I went, my boss calls me into the office and is like, we're laying you off. You've only worked here eight months and you get paid the second most. So um, you're leaving and we're only going to keep the two oldest employees and try to survive, you know, through the thing. Because we, I work in the court system in, the, in a personal injury law firm and the courts all shut down. All these things shut down. It was just like, boop, shut down. Mm-hmm. And he was like, um, he sent everybody, he sent mostly everybody home on a day, you know? And, uh, I was like, okay, okay. And then, um, then I didn't really think about it too much. And then, um, I even made a joke, you know, like, oh man, it's a zombie apocalypse. I remember making that joke and like not giving a shit around like, you know, March 26th or something. <laughs> Like, I didn't think, I didn't, it didn't occur to me. And then, um, I think in April, I was like, oh, this is a very real thing. And 
it was kind of like, yeah, I had like imaginations, like, oh, it's going to come here, it's going, this is going to happen. I didn't know it was like, it would just kind of slowly creep from city to city. And I just kept, you know, checking the death toll and being super paranoid. And um, then I was like, oh no, it just like slowly creeps around each city. And when it gets to my city, you know, you know, and I didn't throw any parties. I didn't go out, um, and you know, to rooms full of people. I always wore my mask. I always washed my hands. I just did exactly everything they told me to do, and we, you know, that's what we did. And I saved, a, you know, I saved a lot of money because I wasn't doing anything, so it wasn't that bad. And um, I, I, you know, washed my fucking hands and wore the fucking mask and uh, kept my fucking mouth shut. <laughs> Alright, uh, yeah, what's Las Vegas like right now? Oh, like, everything's open, there's people everywhere. Yeah. And, uh, you know, freaking cars are everywhere, and smog hell, and... Yeah, are you vaccinated? Everyone, oh, yeah, I'm vaccinated, because I was part of the legal community during... And the legal community got theirs just as soon as nurses... <laughs> Yeah, uh, yeah, tell me if I'm wrong, uh, I think it was like, god, I forget what time last year, but, uh, was it Nevada's governor or Las Vegas mayor that, like, appeared drunk, appeared seemingly drunk on TV and was telling people to come to, come to Las Vegas and kind of, like, act like some kind of weird Petri dish for COVID? Yeah, that's Mayor, uh, Mayor Goodman. She and her husband have been the mayor here for decades. And, uh, they have lived here. They just, like, they got famous because they were the lawyers for mobsters and stuff in the 70s. And she, the Goodman family kind of just, I don't know, they, like, have just been there. But, uh, I, I don't know. Like, I don't even know anything about like I watched the video and like she did that but like no one takes her seriously or anything well to to us here in Michigan it was uh one of those big what the fuck moments oh which uh which is kind of similar to when uh earlier this year when uh that one mayor in Texas sent out that uh letter to residents who were complaining after their power got knocked out during that storm you know only the only this only the fit will survive and all that bullshit really oh yeah i think i remember that yeah i man i just love it when politicians kind of do that stuff it's darkly hilarious even if it is uh very sad and frightening yeah, I don't understand the Mayor Goodman situation where she thought we were going to be a fucking Petri dish. No one was going to do that. She's not even going to control. It's like the corporations are in control. And, like, uh, I mean, Las Vegas is, like, well, they have all those corporations. And then they have, like, Chinatown. And then they have the Mormons. Um, and so... What, I mean, like, wait, no the Mormons are in Las Vegas? What? The Mormons are in Las Vegas? Oh my 
gosh, dude. That's like half the white people. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I did not know that. I, I seriously did not know that about Las Vegas. Oh, Las Vegas, um, much of it was put together by the Mormons. The mafia would use Mormon money. Um, there are Mormon LDS churches, temples or whatever they're called, all over the place. Um, I've worked primarily for Mormons in the legal world. There are many of the higher-ups in the city, um, and they, they are very important here. Like, they're very important. Like, it's very important. Like, we have a lot of Mormons and a lot of um, Chinese and Koreans. And then we have the casinos, who are, like, the most important. Do any, the know, like, do any of the Mormons run the casinos? The, the what? Do the, any Mormons run the casinos? I don't know. I don't know if anyone knows who owns the casinos. <laughs> the Mormon Mafia. <laughs> The Mormon uh, Mafia owns Las Vegas Paving. Awesome. And Las Vegas Paving is the biggest, uh, they make all the bridge, they make all the, you know, all the things for the roads. They do all the sewage, they do all this stuff, you know. And so the huge companies that do the construction work are all Mormon. Oh, okay. Yeah, wow, I learned something today. Thank you, Noah Cicero. And uh, many of the law firms are Mormon. Many, many, and, um, you know, man, they're, they're everywhere, and, uh, they're, they're everywhere. So I have become friends with many Mormons over the years, learning about them. Uh, have you considered becoming Mormon? No, no, I've never considered it. Even if it would, like, help, help you, uh, get up in your career or anything? I don't know. I don't know. You have to have a certain kind of mindset. You have to, they have a, they're very busy and they like to go to work a lot and they like to have like four children. <laughs> and those are all things I don't like to do. I don't like to have four children and I don't like to go to work a lot. So. I don't know. Uh, I gotten all my Mormon information from, uh, the book of Mormon musical and, uh, Fine. looks pretty fun. <laughs> you go by that. I never seen it. I never seen it. Uh, okay, joking aside, it's an excellent musical, man. Trey Parker and Matt Stone of <laughs> South Park. It's awesome. I highly suggest it. Oh, okay. Thank you. Alright, uh, let's get into Las Vegas proper here. Okay, because uh, when I first started uh, becoming familiar with you and your work, you know, I knew about uh, you know Youngstown in Ohio. You also wrote about you know, traveling around the U.S., or going overseas to, like, South Korea. But, uh, what, uh, through all your travels, what ultimately made you decide to settle in Las Vegas? Uh, you there, man? Uh, yeah. kind of having a hard time hearing you. Oh, uh, someone, uh, my friend. Uh, yeah, you're kind of, uh, coming in low there. Oh, I'm sorry. Can you hear me now? Yep, perfectly. 
Okay, so uh, someone like my sister, we were all living together, and the father died. And uh, we were like, we don't want to live in Ohio anymore. And uh, I came back from South Korea, and she was like, we're moving. We're moving to Las Vegas. And I said, okay. <laughs> all right. And, and uh, then... <laughs> uh, wow, well, uh, um, just okay. Yeah, and then I, she was like, well, you can't get a job because we're not moving there until August. And so I said, well, I don't know what to do because it's only, it's only, uh, what the fuck month was it? April. And then she goes, go to the, live at the Grand Canyon. So I just went to the Grand Canyon and lived and worked as a cashier. And then I moved to Las Vegas. And it's perfect for me because I always wanted to live out west and I always wanted to be close to national parks. And this is the perfect location for that. All right. And, uh, well, this is just, uh, from my interpretation of your, your writings, but, uh, one thing that I've kind of always fascinated me about you living in Vegas is, you know, a lot of the glam and materialism that Vegas is often portrayed as having, uh, has this, uh, affected you in any particular way or has it clashed with any of, you know, your beliefs or, you know, what philosophical or political? The materialism? What, what do you mean? Oh, because, uh... Uh, sorry. It's kind of a badly worded question, I guess. I guess, uh... Honestly, you know how glamorous and wild Las Vegas is often portrayed as being? It kind of... I guess kind of like uh, reading your books and, uh... You know... You know, no, knowing you for a while, kind of, it kind of fascinates me that some someone uh, like you would be attracted to something like Las Vegas, as opposed to something uh, more low key or quote unquote real. If you want to use that term, um, many people I know are very spiritual here and um i go hiking every sunday and the mountains and the desert are full of people you know and i um many people i go many people here are very spiritual i mean you have the mormons and, and the catholics and these weird baptist people and you have many buddhist kind of centers um you have many yoga places you have many uh things like that. So I have not driven to the, the strip, you know, the part with all the casinos, to the strip part, that's what they, we call it. I don't know what they call it in, in Michigan. Well, that, but the part yeah, with that, all the casinos, yeah. I have not set foot in, in in over a year or two. Oh, uh, yeah, because that's, and, yeah, I've never been to Las Vegas, but uh, every media portrayal that I've seen is well, the strip. Yeah, if you came to my house and hung out for, you know, four days, we could hang out for four days easily, never seeing the strip. And easily, you know, you're always, if you go outside, you can see a mountain. If you go outside, you can see, you know, cactuses and, and, and all of that. You, if you drive, a half an hour or 40 minutes you can get to the mountain and, and lizards are running everywhere and coyotes and, and, and 
and you'll see all those things within, you know, 40 minutes, you know. You can go out to the desert, there's, you know, beautiful arches in the desert and ghost towns. All these things can be accessed within two hours. And if you drive another hour, you can get the more things. If you drive another hour, you can get the more things. So, um, you can live in your own special life easily in Las Vegas with, 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 and, and live your own little spiritual, philosophical, weird life. And, <laughs> and you, the strip is, you know, it's 25 minutes away, and it's kind of like Disneyland, probably, for people of Los Angeles. Like, they know it's there, and they know that I know if, like, a really cool concert's coming, I can drive there and go, which I've done, you know, on many occasions. And so that can happen. And like, you know, it's there and you know, things can happen. And if you, if you live in a place where at least things can happen, and you can go, I think the last time I went was like Circus Soleil right before the pandemic. I went to Circus Soleil. It was very nice. Oh, awesome. Um, my friend gave me a free ticket. And so um, things like that can happen. You're like, you know, if you want to see Circus Soleil, you can get in your car and drive down there. And, uh, but, that kind of materialism, you know, I don't even, uh, I don't, it's almost when you're kind of standing there, it's just like, what is more important to me is how confusing everything is. I can't get an Uber there. This is, okay, I'm going to give you what a real Las Vegas person talks like. I can't get a fucking Uber down there, man. The Uber won't fucking go there. And then I went into the Venetian and I got lost and I ended up in the fucking Bellagio and I don't know what the thing is. And then I lost my cousin. My cousin came here from freaking Texas, and I'm trying to walk him around. I'm trying to now that I got a kind of text message. I don't know where they are. And then I get out of my car, and someone got in the wreck on the on the strip, and I can't drive back to where my house is, so I had to sit down there for an hour. <laughs> oh my god! So like that is the actual. I mean, everybody in every city in the entire planet has conversations like that, where like these are the actual conversations. From the people from my neighborhood when we start talking about this stuff. Okay. How you, how you can't get an Uber, how this happens, and how this happens, and it's so hard to drive, and it's like Disney a panic attack, and why did they raise prices on the parking deck? And people don't know that we're locals and we don't want to pay for $15. <laughs> All right. Okay, so yeah. it, it's not it's not like it's portrayed in uh Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas by the late, great Hunter S. Thompson, right? Oh my god, no. I mean, no. I mean, the first thing that will stop you from having a good time is the fact that you want bottled water and car dollars. Oh, okay. And unless you have, like, you are ready to spend $2,000, like, $1,000 a day, you will not have the Hunter S. Thompson experience. Like, you have to be ready for $800 a day, lowest amount to have a good time down there. And um, otherwise, your money will be just eaten by the, the if you, $300 would last you an hour and a half. <laughs> you couldn't even gamble with that. To go to a concert, just decently, is like six $700. So, so even all the drugs in the world won't matter if you don't have the money. Yeah, you couldn't. You, you have to have money, yeah, to really enjoy yourself. It's not an enjoyable experience unless you have money, because you're basically staring at things you don't have the whole entire time. You can't even purchase. 
pack of cigarettes is like 16 bucks or something. Uh, a beer is like $15. Uh, something with scotch in it is something like 20 something. Yeah. Like it's just astronomical. This is what people talk about. Like when like my neighbors were all standing outside and you were like standing like four feet like smoking a cigarette and just like listening to what like my neighbors would be talking about. That's, this is what our conversation would be like. All right. Well, uh, actually, uh, the whole thing, thing about, you know, if I came to your house, that could actually be arranged since, uh, Las Vegas is on the list of, uh, places I plan on visiting soon since, uh, I've been vaccinated and I, uh, feel a lot more confident to travel now. So. Yeah, you should come and we could go, um, to, to, to things. Yeah, man, we'll uh, definitely hang out when I get there eventually. But, uh, and I do want to talk to you about uh, nature a little bit, since, uh, obviously nature is a huge part of your work. I mean, your latest one is obviously nature is a huge theme of it. And, uh, I wanted to know, uh, how, uh, would you dif- differentiate, uh, God, I can't say that word. Uh, what is... Yeah, how, yeah, what, how, how will you differentiate the nature in Nevada compared to, uh, Ohio? Oh, wait, hold on, I'm thinking. Uh, take your time. Well, in Ohio, in Ohio, the nature is, like, there's always, like, dirt bikes, um, and four-wheelers and snowmobile kind of nature. Where there, you know, there's trails, but the trails are full of like ruts, and um, everything is really wet and damp in Ohio, and your shoes are always muddy, and um, your pant legs are always muddy, and 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 you have that, but you can have a really great time walking around the woods in Ohio, and no doubt you can you could spend hours having a wonderful time in Michigan or Ohio or Indiana, just having a blast. Well, I say is, um, you know, in Ohio, it's very in, in the woods. It's very easy to get lost, and it's so much easier um, to to lose one's way in those trees. It's so weird. In, in in Nevada, you have these like in Nevada, Arizona, and Utah, you have clearly marked trails with no motorcycles, dirt bikes, or any spray paint or anything, mm-hmm. and uh, there's there's no real signs of people. And if someone does spray paint something, they like everyone will actively try to fix it pretty immediately. And, um, so the trails are, you know, they're only like about four or five feet wide and they're very rocky and there's no, at most you'll see a mountain bike, but there's no dirt bikes, motorcycles, four wheelers, snowmobiles allowed or anything. Well, there's a desert out there too, right? There's what? It's a desert out there, isn't it? Yeah, so the desert is very, um, when you hike and go into nature, you stay on the trail basically because you're surrounded by rocks and you're always in a canyon or you're going up the side of a hill. So there's, it's very impossible to get lost. And you're kind of just on the trail and that's your life. But in, but in the woods, you can just walk off the trail. And if you kind of know where you're going, you can walk off the trail. But I would never walk off the trail in the desert or in those types of places. Yeah, that kind of sounds like a bad idea. 
<laughs> yeah, so it's a different it's a different experience where you're very much like I'm going to stay on the trail, but in Ohio you can just walk off, you know. And if you don't mind getting cut by those bushes, jagger bushes or something, you know, with the little pokey things. Uh, pr- pricker bush, pricker bushes, thorn bushes. Yeah. Yeah, if you don't mind that, you can have a, you can walk off the trail. All right. Uh. Oh, sorry. Uh. Hi. Yeah, like I uh, said to you before we start recording, I'm uh, dealing with, like, pre-summer allergies, so as you can tell, it only uh, increases my interview skills. <laughs> very pro- very professional. Hmm? Have you been to the desert? No, I have not, actually. Oh my god, do you want to go? Yeah, fuck yeah. Yeah, you should go. I mean, the best places to go to the desert, like Las Vegas or Los Angeles or Phoenix, those are great places that you can get out of an airplane and go see the desert. Oh, nice. Yeah, in uh, actuality, when I've reflected on my travels, most of it has just been around the Midwest, and uh, especially to Chicago, you know, where I would like to move to eventually. The... Farthest, the farthest I've ever traveled in the U.S. was uh, down to Florida when I was a kid. My family and I went to Disney World. And uh, the, farther, the farthest I ever traveled by myself so far is uh, London, England. So, uh, compared to you, so yeah, compared to you, I have a lot of catching up to do. Yeah, you should have just gone to the desert. <laughs> <laughs> Alright, uh... Yeah. All right. All right. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, I would. Yeah, I would love to come to the desert, man. And yeah, maybe that's maybe when I eventually do come to Las Vegas, that's something you and I can do. Just go out to the desert, two Midwesterners, all by ourselves. There's a lot of Midwestern people here. There's like Michigan Bar and Ohio Bar. You know, themed places. There's a Chicago, right down the street from my house, there's the Chicago place, and you go in and you sit at the counter, and they give you this, like, uh, sausage thing and this hot dog. And... I'm sure it's... Like, Chicago Tony's, and then across the street from that is a place called Detroit Basins. Ugh. <laughs> and there's an Ohio bar where you go in, and it's, like, they serve, like, calzones. Oh, come on. And, um... <laughs> And uh, they have Cleveland Browns and Cleveland Indians memorabilia everywhere. <laughs> These are real things. Like, imagine a wow. Chinese restaurant, but imagine a Michigan version. Uh, dude, I don't want to imagine that. Holy shit. Dude, yeah, you go into Detroit Nathan's, and it's full of Michigan, like, Michigan memorabilia. And then you go into, I think it's called Chicago Tony's. And you go in there, it's full of, like, you know, pictures of Michael Jordan and stuff. <laughs> All right. And, and what's his name? Dick Buckus? I don't know. Mike Dicka. Mike Dicka is like got 20 pictures in this place and how badass Mike Dick is. And you like look at Mike Dicka's face while you're eating a hot dog. <laughs> With no ketchup, I'm I'm sure, right? <laughs> I don't remember. I never... Oh, they put like 
chili on it. That's the one I got. No, that's the big thing. That's one big no-no in Chicago, apparently. Do not put ketchup on your hot dog. Or I guess they, like, huh. put a bullet in the back of your head, like, immediately. <laughs> <laughs> Alright. Okay, uh, uh, last nature question, then. Uh, in c between Nevada and Ohio, is there a nature that you prefer? Yeah, I don't like, uh, clouds. I don't like them blocking the sun, so I have to pick the desert. Ah, uh, okay. Because I've been in Portland, and I've, uh, I've been in the forest, I've outside Portland, about an hour south in Silverton, and Monitor, uh, in those towns, and, uh, you walk around down old logging trails, can do that, you know, pretty easily. It's pretty accessible. And it's, like, I love it while it's happening, on, but I don't, I can't do it every day. I can't live with the clouds. And the rain. It's fucking, like, Edgar Allan Poe. <laughs> <laughs> oh, come on. Every day, I, oh, come every on. day I'm in the pen, the pendulum. But, oh, come on, he's so famous now. I'm sure yeah. it'd be worth it. Can you repeat that, please? I said, oh, but he's a, he's a legendary writer now. I'm sure it'll be worth it. No, that's not worth it. I need the sun. Uh, I like the sun, but, uh, but I make sure to put out a lot of sunscreen since I burn really easy. And uh, Oh, no. Yeah, it stinks. Like, like, la like last summer. Well, honestly, I didn't travel anywhere epic. Well, my big, you're gonna love this. My uh, big trip for uh, summer 2020. You know where I went? Cleveland, Ohio. Oh, that's really good. My yeah, I mainly went there to go to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, but. Yeah, that was my big summer trip to someplace I've never been to, Cleveland, Ohio. But other than that, I mean, I had fun, but I think I'll go back there when things are, you know, quote-unquote, back to normal. You know, because besides the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, there really wasn't much open. But, uh, but yeah, I'm one of those type of guys where, uh, Unfortunately, if I'm like, if I get burned by the sun, it's really bad, and uh, I could just be out for like nearly a week, you know, just in, in just in pain and exhausted. What? You can't put like creams on your face and stuff. Yeah, I do actually. I put on a lot. And it doesn't work. Yeah, it does a little bit, but. You know, goddamn, it's bad. Oh, I'm very lucky because my dad is Super Mario, and so my skin doesn't burn. Well, I'm, mo well, I'm most. Oh yeah, oh yeah, you're Italian, right? Yeah, Sicilian. My 23 me says I'm Turkish, too, and Greek. So I'm super prepared for the sun. Well, well, my friend, I am mostly Irish and German, 
and from northern Michigan, oh. so it's not going to work out well. I'm so sorry about that. <sighs> it's okay. Uh, I, I've i learned to adapt. Let's put it that way. We have, um, so the, the Mexican construction workers, the landscapers, hmm? wear these giant... So Las Vegas is really diverse. It's one of the most diverse cities in the United States and probably like in the entire world in terms of like races and ethnic groups. And like... Asian people sell these, like, straw hats for cheap. And they're, like, I don't know what, they're, like, Korean. They look Korean or Chinese. They're, like, these farmer hats. Oh. And, like... Is, is, are those, like, the hats, like, I don't know, they portray Vietnamese farmers wearing or, like, wandering samurai wearing that they then epically throw off? Yeah, like, these straw hats. They're, like, huge. Like, just, like, they're, like, foot and a half wide. Yeah, I know, like, you're ta- I know what you're talking about, yeah. And, like, all the construction, like, they sell them for cheap. I'm trying to, in China, <laughs> construction workers are wearing them. <laughs> Very nice. And, like, they're huge. They're, like, they go out, like, a foot and a half on their head. And, like, they're wearing the orange. They're working their asses off, you know, in the hot sun. But with, like, this straw hat on, it's, it's kind of cool looking to drive by and see them all these kind of manly men with these weird straw hats on their heads in the middle of America. No, that's cool, actually. Yeah, it's one of my favorite things. Go ahead. uh, I can't imagine that it really protects them, though, like a hard hat would. Oh, I don't know if if that's an issue for them. Uh, I don't know if I would want to wear that, though, because no, my luck, like some picture will appear online. That I'll, I don't know, get accused of cultural appropriation, <laughs> and I'll lose like all five of my fans. <laughs> That's really funny. Yeah, don't do that. Unless they're going to do construction or uh, landscaping work in the city of Las Vegas when it's a hundred degrees outside. Yeah, yeah. I'll stick to wearing something safe, like you know, a Native American headdress at Coachella or something. <laughs> That's also a good so it's really good. You can stop at all the places while mm. you're here. All right. All right, uh, enough about Las Vegas. Uh, I have uh, only one question about Ohio for you. Uh, beforehand, you uh, said that it's been about 10 years now that you've lived in Las Vegas? Yeah, it's like 2021. Uh, no, I lived in Korea, and then I lived in the Grand Canyon, and then I lived here, so I don't know. It adds up to maybe nine. I don't know. Uh, close close to a decade. And uh, have you uh, been back to Ohio since? I was there four years ago, over four years ago. Like four years and like three months ago, I think. Okay, um... Well, since you've been away for, like, nearly a decade, has your, uh, views on Ohio changed since then? Has what changed since then? Your view or outlook of Ohio, has it changed for the better or for worse since then? I, uh, sometimes I think about that, and I'm Oh, okay. And, you 
know, I mean, I don't, I mean, I don't know what I would do there or anything. I don't know. I don't really, I don't think I think about it too much. Um, as in, what do you mean, like, my view? Like, what, what is your, what is the view that I could have? Like, if it's a, being a bad place or a good place or... Yeah, whether you... Yeah, it's, yeah. Do you do you have a favorable look on it? Do you unfavorable? Just do you like the state of Ohio or, yay or nay? Uh, I don't think I'd uh, want to live there again. Um, but uh, you know, but because I have my own personal things that I like, I like I like the desert and I like these specific things about life that over the course of my life I found out that I really liked. But I, I don't think I want to, uh, I don't feel any need to disperse the people of Ohio or anything like that. Alright. Uh, and, uh, do you have, do you plan on staying in Vegas still, or, uh, do you have plans to move on eventually? Uh, I don't really know. I don't really know. I, I haven't thought about moving. It's never, it's never, it's not occurred to me to leave. Um, my friend, the people that I came here with, they want to maybe move to Grand Junction, Colorado, and maybe like two, three, four years or something, because um, mm-hmm. we're all in our 40s now, so, you know, maybe, you know, like 10 years in Las Vegas and being a giant city is like pretty good, but maybe moving to a smaller place might be good. Retirement so, community? To what? Retirement community? Oh, okay. All right, dude. Uh, last thing. Uh, last thing I would uh, like to ask you here. Uh, we're going back to literary stuff, you know. And uh, another thing I've been wondering about uh, about you and your work. And uh, God, I can't remember where I heard this. Whether it was like a post you made on Facebook or uh, or another interview you did, but. Uh, but I think I recall you talk about uh, your past work, you know, the human war, you know, the insurgent and the like, as like your blue period, or like you considered it a part of a part of your writing career that's uh, long gone. Uh, do, do you have like any particular opinion on your past work, like now, as opposed to like back uh, then? Yeah, so um, I wrote those books in Ohio, and I wrote Best Behavior, I wrote there, and I wrote a lot of things that I posted on the blog. Like, if you were, like, in the blog days, I posted, I, I posted, like, several whole novels on, the, on that blog that I had. And um, I did a lot of, I just wrote and wrote and wrote. So, like, in my mind, when I say that, I'm seeing, like, the three or four books that I just, like, posted on blogs and all the short stories that I got published that in the websites are, like, gone now. So, I'm standing here, and I know all of that, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, um, 
you might not know it. Like, if you're a person and you're like, I just bought Nature Documentary and I have read um, Wild Kingdom, if you're like, this is the only two books I've ever seen, you might not have any idea, you know? But I know it. I know it because I, I was there, you know? And, um, <laughs> people, and then, so, when I look at it, it's very much like, I was just like such an angry young person, so angry, and so um, I was very sheltered and I was very angry, and so and then I was caught up with all these types of people um, that were from New York City and Chicago, and I had all of those people like in my life, you know, all those writers or young writers, and so I was being like influenced by them. And I was being like in constant contact with them. But then around when I was in Korea, I could see, I graduated college and gone to Korea and I was in Korea and I could see that the younger people, the, the people I was hanging out in my 20s were kind of like very selfish. And a lot of the writers I thought were basically like Ayn Rand fans. Ooh. Like they weren't. They weren't openly Ayn Rand fans. They were just Ayn Rand people. They didn't even know it. Well, did they write as bad as she does? Oh, no. Some of them, you know, they write very well. Okay. (laughs) I really got to... Go ahead. That's what I find more offensive about Rand than uh, her beliefs or her personality. It's just that uh, I think she's a shitty writer. I don't even remember anything I ever read about her. I remember I read John Galt's speech and thought it was hysterical. Uh, but I don't think I thought it was hysterical for the right reason. I thought it was just... I couldn't believe anyone could have thought this was a good idea. Yeah, the, the, <laughs> the, only, the only two Rand books I've read in full was uh, Anthem, which was pretty mediocre. Then uh, her, her essay collection called The Virtue of Selfishness. And, uh, the only essay I remember that was, like, the last one where, uh, she was coming out against, uh, civil rights. With her whole excuse, yeah, her whole excuse being, well, you know, I'm not racist, but, yeah, it was shitty. And so, yeah, so I had all these friends and stuff, and I didn't really think they were good friends, and so... When I returned from Korea and started living in Las Vegas, I made like a transition. And I started getting really into spiritual things. And I wrote Bipolar Cowboy and I wrote other books, you know, and the Grand Canyon book that I wrote and Las Vegas Bootlegger and these other books were all very different, you know, from that previous version of myself. All right. Uh, Actually, uh, if you allow me to geek out here for a sec... I can uh, tell you some of my memories of uh, reading your work, if you would like to hear them. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, uh, I remember the first time that I read you was, uh, you had an excerpt from uh, The Insurgent on uh, Moo Moo House, uh, Talon's Uh publishing venture, which I think is still going on. And, uh, yeah, if I remember right, the excerpt was... uh, the main character is just basically sitting in his room, and uh, he's watching videos about peak oil and conspiracy theories. 
Yeah. And, uh, yeah, that's one thing that attracted me to your work was, uh, yeah, I don't know if you meant it or not, but, uh, it was, this particular excerpt was hilarious. <laughs> Especially, uh, you know, just listing off all this horrible apocalyptic stuff, followed by the I, the Illuminati watches down and laughs laughs hysterically. Which uh, and he does what and laughs hysterically? Yeah, the Illuminati is watching and laughs hysterically. I think that's what you wrote, something like that. <laughs> and uh, yeah, that yeah I. Bought, I bought the insurgent after on uh, Nook, and uh, yeah, yeah, it really affected me that book for uh, two reasons. One, the pro style just really stood out to me, and uh, I believe that you did like a YouTube video on this, like describing your style. But it's basically like every sentence is like its own thing. Like, it's not part of a larger paragraph. Uh, am I correct? Yeah, that was it. I called them centigraphs. Yeah, and, uh, that what really stood out to me. And, uh, it influenced my, uh, very first novel, uh, Animaki. Which I sent you a copy of, actually. Oh, I, nice. I don't know if you, uh, liked it or not. But, uh... Yeah, yeah, don't tell me here if you didn't like it. My, uh, my ego can't take any more bashings. <laughs> but, uh, seriously, uh, that's what, that's what, uh, The Insurgent and your, uh, other works like, you know, The Human War and Burning Babies had on me with that pro style was, uh, how it made, like, every sentence stand out, whether it stood out seriously or or hilariously like with that excerpt and uh and I guess I wanted to do something like that for my first novel so uh I kind of took that style uh and I think it worked out for me I think it's a lot of fun to write like that it's always a lot of fun to even read a book like that it's fun I know, and it's still my favorite book of yours. Like, I love everything. The Insurgent? Yes, it is. Oh, wow. That was like, yeah, wow. Most people don't say that. I know, it's still... Amazing. I know, I still love it. And, uh, I actually rewrote it, uh, last week after I re- after I read, uh, Wild Kingdom there. And, yeah, it's... I think I've... God, what's been like nearly ten years since I've read it? And yeah, it still holds up for me. Oh wow! Yeah, and uh, I got I got some other memories with your work that I think you'll find amusing. Uh, you see, uh, I read all my stuff on the Kindle and Nook apps on my phone, and uh, bef- okay. before I got an Android phone, I had Nook on my computer, so I read your work and other works off my laptop. Uh, one time I was visiting my folks and uh, I was reading Burning Babies for the first time. And uh, I was on the couch with my mom, you know, we're both on our laptops. And she just happens to like look over when uh, I was at a part where uh, I believe 
one of the characters is like this shell-shocked Vietnam vet. And he just starts yeah. he just starts screaming, I've seen babies burning, and it just goes on and on like that. So, yeah. so my mom looks over and she's like, What are you reading about burning babies? <laughs> I'm like, No, no, mom, this is a guy having a freak out. That's really funny. That really happened. Yeah, and I explained it, explained the story and who you were. Then I was like, oh, well, that's nice, Gary. Then she just went back to doing what she did. And uh, the final one uh, actually is the the first and only time that I met Tao Lin. It was uh, at Elizabeth Allen's house. And yeah, it's, Elizabeth who? Oh, Elizabeth Allen, okay. Yeah, Tao Lin, uh, so I meet him, and, you know, and, well, for anyone not listening, uh, Tao, Tao Lin is, a, uh, I guess, oh, uh, God, I guess you could say he's a regular-sized person, Asian-American, whereas I am, like, a 6'2", like, over 250-pound white man from northern Michigan. So, uh, I'm very excited to meet him. And, you know, I come up and I say, Oh, hey, Tao, big fan of yours. You know, love Taipei and shoplifting for American apparel. Blah, blah, blah. You know, he's kind of taken aback by this, but we got into a, uh... But kind of like with Sam Pink, we, uh, started talking and had a good time. And, yeah, I told him, like, yeah, man, uh, you've also helped me get into others' work. Like, I got into Noah Cicero since, you know, since, you know, you post his work on his site. And he's like, oh, uh, yeah, Noah, great guy. You know, I love him. <laughs> I was like, oh, that's great. And then, uh... Do you want to hear, hear a tell-in story? Well, uh, yeah, I do. And, well, one last thing on this, um... Well, well, I think I made an impression on him because uh, he and Ellen and a few others were on a book tour at the time. They had, like, their own Twitter. Next day, I'm, I'm like, following the Twitter, and I look on there, and there's a tweet that says, like, Tao can't stop talking about Garrett. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. One of the big highlights of my literary career so far. That's really good. But, uh, but yeah, you have a Talon story? <laughs> um, I went to New York City in, like, 2006, maybe? Six, really young. 2005, 2006. And, uh, we're just outside all day. It's the summer, and we're sweating all day. And I don't know why, but I didn't have any socks or something on. And my feet smelled horribly. And um, we go back to his apartment, and he was like, "You have." He lived in like a. He was living in like a closet, like a big closet, and he was gonna sleep on the bed, and I was gonna sleep on the floor. Like there was like a mat or something, it wasn't terrible. But my feet smelled really horribly, so I went to the bathroom and I washed my feet, and. Um, Still didn't get the stink off, got most of it off, and I came back in the room and was like, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, I know. And um, he 
he like took perfume and then rubbed it all over my feet. And I like sat there and like he gets up and he's just he's twenty four years old and I'm like twenty five or twenty six and he's just like I'm sitting there and he's just like rubbing really gently like perfume or some kind of lotion, smelly lotion all over my feet while we're chatting. <laughs> yeah, well, uh, no, there's that whole story about Jesus doing the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, it was, uh, yeah. Oh. <laughs> uh, we, we confirmed that on this podcast, Taolin is the savior. Well, no, it was a, it was a woman. Remember, there was a woman who came and she rubbed Jesus' feet with her hair. Wait, I thought it was our way around. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> It was such a silly moment. It was, like, unbelievably silly. <laughs> yeah, uh, that that's great, dude. Yeah, he's finally coming out with his uh, long-awaited Leave Society novel, too, this year. You know, about time. <laughs> I think so. I don't know. August, I think. <sighs> okay, Noah. Uh, man, that's that's everything I wanted to talk about with you today. That was doing wonderful. Thank you very much. Yeah, dude. Uh, well, 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 what can I say? Um, uh, you know, all my joking aside and shit talk. Yeah, I'm. I was really, really happy to talk with you today, man. Uh, like, like I said uh, earlier, uh, the Insurgent was a uh, is a huge book for me. One of my all time favorites, and. Uh, I consider you one of my big literary influences, especially uh, living influences, you could say. And uh, your work has has uh, really touched me personally, both as a writer and as a person. You know, I've really related to it, and I've really been inspired by it. And uh, yeah, I just really appreciate you as a person, as a, and as a writer. So, it was a real honor talking with you today. I liked it. Thank you for saying the nice things. I'm glad... I'm glad you... you it did that for you. I'm glad. Alright. Yeah, I, yeah, like I said, I've been... Uh, I'm starting to travel again, and... Uh, well, when I, when I do eventually make it to Las Vegas, or... Uh, I'll, I'll try to hit you up. And... Uh, I guess if you ever get the notion to come back to the Midwest, uh, hit me up, man. I would uh, love right. to see, love to meet you. Great, thank you very much. Yeah, uh, Noah, uh, is there anything you would uh, like to promote or advertise? You know, where can people um, purchase Wild Kingdom or any of your other work? You should go and buy Wild Kingdom and Las Vegas Bootlegger. That's what everyone should do immediately. After they're done listening to this, what are you going to listen to this and open another browser page and then do it while you're doing listening? <laughs> <laughs> you should do this for the benefit of the publisher um, and their self esteem. You don't have to do it for me. Yeah, both, uh, <laughs> both House of Vlad, correct? Uh, no, the other one is Tried and Press. Oh, okay. Have you read Nate Perkins? Uh, what's his name? Nate Perkins. Nathan Perkins. Uh, no, I don't believe I don't believe I've ever heard of them. Oh, I think 
you'd love him. Oh my gosh. You'd love him to death. Oh, I'll send you a link on Facebook after this is over. All right, great. All right, Noah. Uh, nice talking to you. I'll talk to you later. Yeah, uh, yeah, yeah, man. I guess we're done. Yeah, it was wonderful talking to you, dude. Uh, thanks for taking time to, well, come on my podcast. My pleasure. Yeah, hopefully we'll do it again some more time. Uh-huh. All right, man. Uh, well, okay, folks, that's the end of the podcast. Uh, uh, if you want uh, to know more about me, check out my official website, garrettshelke.tumblr.com. Hit me up on Facebook, Twitter, at Garrett Schalke. You can find this podcast at, uh, God, let's see, iHeartRadio, Pandora now, Spotify, Internet Archive, a shit ton of places. And uh, that's it. Thanks again, Noah, for coming on. And uh, thank you, folks, for listening. Here is the outro song. Yeah, yeah, it's on my mind. Wishing times would change, it's on my mind, like. I gotta find my way, I gotta find mine Wishing times would change, it's on my mind like So I'm just sitting by the window, watching wind blow Ain't with the games, but you see my wind's low Tryna control my lane, but it's not Nintendo Damn, my ends low, swim my dollars limbo Slow the tempo up, now I don't know what As I watch a brother pass in that Benzo truck I'm in that hoopty, riding with my window stuck Still got groupies, Shawty know that I'm next up She won't do me, and do me over again It depends if she let me do her and a friend See, I tend to defend my dark side I sent now and then, but my heart it rounds from within Hard times make a man Rough times make an end Life is a bitch And I'm just trying to make amends As I watch the people pass From my windowsill Steady wonder why this thing's so ill I can't win, damn Wish times would change It's on my mind like I gotta find my way I gotta find mine Wish Times will change, it's on my mind like I see an old head begging for change From way up here, I'm just begging the same Looking down on the clouds, I'm just begging for rain Come down, watch me out, I'm just tired of pain It's all a game, so I'm searching for the cheat code Repo my drive, I'm on a detour Bumpy road at times, I still endo Blow out the cloud, I'm on that endo Spill it out, I let it flow until it hit the Holy Ghost Wraith in my view, I overflow for the dose See, I'm aiming for the gold, the fame will let you overdose So I get overdose, silly hoes and rope dose Got you trapped in the hope that some days Serving all this cane will get you touching sun rays So I stick to my QP's quality product Smoking what you thought of, spitting that broad That's while I'm here Wish the times would change, it's on my mind like I gotta find my way, I gotta find my 
Wish the times would change, it's on my mind like I gotta find my way, I gotta find my Wish the times would change, wish the times would change I gotta find my way, I gotta find my Wish the times would change, wish the times would change